I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to Real Stories Tapes, True Crime a weekly podcast from Real Stories, the online home of exclusive and award-winning documentaries from all over the world. My name is Stephanie Bauer, and this series introduces you to some of Real Stories' most gripping true crime stories in the form of a podcast. This episode is part two in the tale of an international drug trafficking syndicate known as The Company. If you haven't heard the first episode, make sure you catch up. The intrigue revolves around a man named Andrew Thornton, a former police officer from a well-respected Kentucky family. Your narrator is Anthony Call. This podcast episode is based on the documentary Dangerous Company. Some people's names have been changed. On September 10th, 1985, Drew Thornton jumped from an airplane into the night sky above Knoxville, Tennessee. It was the last jump Thornton ever made. He was found the next morning dead in a man's driveway. While police were still trying to determine what caused his death, Drew Thornton was buried in a Lexington, Kentucky cemetery. Drew's body was found with nearly 80 pounds of cocaine strapped to it. The FBI was trying to find out where he got the drugs. His funeral drew dozens of Lexington's elite, politicians, police officers, and local aristocrats. Investigators kept a close watch on all his associates. They hoped one of them held the key to the mystery. Many of Drew's friends couldn't accept the rumors generated by his death. Reporter Valerie Honeycutt. There was a great deal of mystery uh, surrounding Drew Thornton's death. There was a lot of people in Lexington who just had a hard time believing that he was involved in um, drug smuggling. But the FBI knew differently. They had been watching Drew's friends very closely. Agent Jim Huggins. Well, this group is kind of unique from other drug organizations because of their social status in the Lexington community and uh, 
a lot of people in high places uh, gave them some uh, aura of respectability, which they certainly shouldn't be entitled to, but they were. Thornton, along with his friend Frank Barkley, ran a business they called The Company. The FBI believed it was a front for a drug smuggling operation. The men had connections in Las Vegas with a notorious pair of drug smugglers. Jimmy and Lee Chagra were believed to be two of the biggest and most dangerous drug traffickers in the country. The Shaggers are extremely uh, fearless and, and desperate individuals, and uh, they were heavily involved in some serious drug smuggling. Lee nicknamed Effley in his hometown of El Paso, was an infamous Texas attorney known for his successful defense of drug dealers. His brother, Jimmy, was also well-known to law enforcement. Currently out on bail, he was waiting to stand trial for drug trafficking. There was a pretty intense investigation going on in Las Vegas from the U.S. Attorney's Office and DEA into their activities. Oh, really? The Chagra brothers made millions running drugs from the largest suppliers of Colombia's infamous Medellin cartel. The company wanted a piece of their action. Barkley was the one that ingratiated himself with the Chagra organization and uh, had a lot of connections with people in Las Vegas. The feds had never been able to successfully try the Chagra brothers, despite their reputed ties to the mob, Mideast terrorists, and Colombian drug lords. There were separate operations, the, uh, the Chagra's operation and the company's operation. And uh, they, it's kind of like a merger. Uh, Barclay took all his assets and teamed up with Chagra, and then they really became uh, involved in some big-time smuggling. It appeared to investigators the heads of the company were stepping up to the big time. Federal prosecutor Brian Layton. Barclay wanted the high life, and the biggest way, the quickest way to get to the high life is to run drugs. Agents began hearing from informants that Frank and Drew were going to start running drugs for the Chagras, and they were looking to expand their gang. They began scouring small and rural airports for pilots who could meet their criteria. What are you certified to fly? They had to be good pilots. They had to be able to fly without lights, um, without instruments, um, land, get off the plane, take off, and allow somebody else to um, to unload the dope, and then they would later get paid. I think most of the people that got involved in this, they got involved for the thrill of it. It's thrilling. You go out and buy airplanes, you smuggle dope. You know, you toss that airplane, go buy another one. The men developed a routine for their drug smuggling operation. They felt it was a sure way to stay ahead of the police. The team would buy used aircraft for cash. They would equip them with uh, extra large gas tanks. Uh, they'd take the seats out so they could carry large loads and started flying uh, to South America and back and forth and uh, recruiting pilots, uh, bodyguards. Uh, and it was a very sophisticated uh, drug smuggling operation. 
By the late 1970s, the company's drug-running operations were in full swing. With each run, they got better and were able to smuggle larger and larger amounts of contraband. For Barclay, this meant more money and more power. Drew and Frank wasted no time in using the Chagra's connections. They began buying as many drugs as they could afford in Colombia and shipping them to the US. When they landed in the US, unloading was done in record time by trained ground crews. They knew any delays could mean getting arrested within minutes. We began to uh, have some airplanes that were abandoned at various airports that were searched and had marijuana residue, and, and we began to get information that Thornton was involved in these. On one occasion, they landed at a small Lexington airport with a massive 20,000 pounds of illegal cargo. Authorities found the planes afterward empty and scrubbed clean with disinfectant but had never caught the men in the act. In one of the planes, the occupants had left behind a clue, a magazine addressed to Mr. Andrew Thornton. In my view, that was the first clue to a lot of people here in Central Kentucky that some of their local sons were involved in um, a major uh, drug running, smuggling operation. It seemed there was no limit to what the company and the Chagras could achieve. But only a few months after the two groups teamed up, tragedy struck. Police in El Paso, Texas, got a report that Lee Chagra was found shot to death in his office. Jimmy called Barkley for help. Unsure who had executed his brother, and fearing for his own life, Chagra had nowhere else to turn. Jimmy Chagra needed protection. First thing in the morning. He called in a favor from Frank Barkley. He asked the company to protect him. I'm going to need three plane tickets to Las Vegas. Wes, me, and Drew. Seeing this as a possible opening to move in on the Chagra's empire, Frank agreed. You're not going to Vegas without a plan. What are you doing? He started making plans to beef up security in Chagra's Las Vegas home. Drew, however, was wary. All I'm asking for is a couple of hours. Working this closely with the Chagras meant more power and more risk. Wait a minute. Come on. Any shakeup in the Chagra empire would inevitably cause trouble for the company. You're smarter than this. Don't do this. Frank was determined not to let Jimmy Chagra down. But Jimmy was in trouble. He was arrested in San Antonio, Texas, charged with importing marijuana and cocaine from Colombia. The prosecution had been gearing up for this case for months. Judge, we're here to request a reduction. Bail was set at $1 million. An amount Chagra's attorney argued was excessive. My client, first of all, has no prior record, no pre U.S. District Judge Robert Drews agreed with the defense and lowered the bail. 
Your Honor, there's plenty of reasons. He vowed that if Chagra was convicted, he would not get off easy. Jimmy had a long run just out of reach of the law. But this judge was known for being tough on drug dealers. CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London in 2021 on Saturday the 25th and 26th September. Get inside the mind of serial killers and psychopaths, learn from leading criminologists, immerse yourself in forensic evidence, and delve deeper into unsolved crimes. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend, partnered with crime and investigation and a perfect opportunity to meet fellow true crime enthusiasts. Limited tickets are on sale now at crimecon.co.uk and we have an exclusive discount code for you. To claim your discount, enter the code REAL at checkout. That's R-E-A-L, REAL. Head over to crimecon.co.uk now. 
Despite all their efforts, they couldn't save him. Judge Drews was pronounced dead on arrival. Contact hospital, Thurman DOA. News of the assassination of a federal judge reverberated in FBI offices across the U.S., including Lexington. FBI agent Jim Huggins. It just shows how dangerous these individuals were and that they would stop at nothing to keep their operation going. The sniper was captured and prosecuted, and Jimmy Chagra was convicted of drug charges, but escaped the country before he was sentenced. Although the FBI suspected the company might somehow be involved, they, like the Texas police, had no proof. They maintained surveillance on members of the company. But they found nothing to incriminate them. With the Chagras out of the way, the company showed no signs of slowing their business dealings. They were looking to intensify their drug runs to Colombia. Pressure from investigators concerned Bartley. He brought in a new member to the gang to help solve his problem. Mike Kelly was a licensed gun dealer in Lexington. Federal agents suspected he was the alleged go-to man for anyone looking for illegal weapons. Mike Kelly was an electronics uh, expert, had a small company in Lexington that supplied radios, alarms, and uh, this kind of equipment. According to federal surveillance reports, Kelly was in contact with Frank Barkley and Drew Thornton on a frequent basis. We had heard some rumors that they were getting ready to do a big drug deal, but we had no specifics. The company was so effective at moving in the shadows that law enforcement seemed powerless to bring their illegal dealings into the light. Investigators continued pressuring anyone who was associated with the company, and some of them started to talk. Danny Yates had been hired by Barkley as a pilot. What was it exactly that you did steal? He was implicated on smuggling charges and was issued an ultimatum by prosecutor Brian Layton. That's it. Cooperate or go to prison for a long time. None of these people had ever been in prison before and they didn't like the prospects of it. We needed their cooperation to go after Barclay and some of the big boys. Um, and so we struck deals. In exchange for immunity, Yates confirmed the company was looking to increase their drug running activity. Yates said that Columbia had become a regular destination for Frank Barkley and his business associates. The death of Lee Chagra had left a void that Barkley was only too willing to fill. Barkley had long had his eye on the Chagra's drug empire. Yates told investigators Barkley was particularly seduced by this new world. Seemed a prime business opportunity. Combining assets with the Chagras had given them access to aircraft brokers and weapons experts. And working directly with Colombia's top suppliers meant they no longer had to deal with the middleman. 
But Frank Barkley had a problem. He needed to come up with the cash to buy the drugs, and he didn't have any. But Barkley was ruthless in running his drug business. Tom Burke, one of the men accompanying Barkley, would learn that the hard way. Frank decided to leave Burke behind. That person was left with the Colombians as collateral for payment for the dope because Barclay would not pay for the dope up front. The Colombians didn't trust him. Uh, and they said, well, if uh, you don't pay us within so many days, this guy dies. So they kept him captive down in, in Colombia until the dope got into the, into the country and Barclay paid for it. For Barclay, it was a small price to pay to keep his drug lord satisfied. He was looking to make money, no matter who got hurt. He had to find a better way to pay for the drugs. Barkley came up with another plan. Investigators learned he found a source of drug money thousands of miles away at a naval station in California. A man taking inventory of specialized radio and guidance equipment noticed that some items were missing. When the man called his supervisor, they checked the requisition orders and couldn't find any record that the items had been removed. Thursday the 26th. The man's supervisor contacted the FBI. Special Agent Mike Devitt. I was notified by the Naval Investigative Service agent at the base that uh, a, an individual there had apparently requisitioned some uh, equipment that he apparently had no need for. And uh, that when they confronted him, uh, he had some very elusive answers as to what happened to the equipment. They questioned the man who had taken the goods. He told them two men approached him and asked him to help them obtain some radar and guidance devices. We interviewed uh, this individual. He was pretty vague at, uh, initially as to what it was used for because he had been told by the two individuals that had approached him in order to obtain this information to just be on the lookout for certain types of equipment. The man went on to say that he had several meetings with John Barkley. His name was familiar to investigators. He was Frank Barkley's cousin. Agents set their sights on John Barkley. They pressured his suspected accomplice. He basically realized we had him in a, in a pretty hard spot. We obtained uh, permission from the United States Attorney's Office to actually uh, tape record his phone calls. Their witness got in touch with John Barkley. Hello? It's Randall. But as federal authorities listened to his phone conversations, it became clear that John wasn't the brains of the operation. It appeared Frank Barkley was in charge. Barkley was in charge. There wasn't any question about that. Okay. Agents set up surveillance at John Barkley's home. We conducted surveillance. We'd seen him move in some of this equipment. We knew for a fact we had him cold on the, on the theft of the government property. 
In the fall of 1979, John Barkley was seen in possession of the stolen military equipment. But the FBI didn't arrest him. They continued to watch John Barkley, hoping he would implicate his cousin in the thefts. From talking with informants, investigators pieced together Barkley's plan to take the equipment. He was an electronics technician who worked for the US Air Force. Because of his work on classified radar systems, John Barkley would have had security clearance. In the summer of 1979, with the aid of insiders on the base, he asked his friend to help him steal 10 sets of starlight night vision goggles and a variety of technical equipment which could be used to outfit small planes to avoid detection. They had some instruments installed in some of the planes so they could pick up when radar beams were being directed their way so that they could drop or do whatever they had to take a, a action. Barclay must have counted on the fact that the equipment was older, ignored, and that checkpoint guards only stopped vehicles on their way in, not on their way out. He thought this equipment would never be missed. He was wrong. Investigators had recovered most of the stolen equipment, but three sets of the night vision goggles were still missing. Federal prosecutor Brian Layton had a theory on where the missing equipment might have gone. Barclay thought it was a very good idea if he could get military equipment. Uh, because he found that it was cheaper to steal military equipment and trade it to the Colombians um, for drugs than it is to pay him cash. It was the strategy of a consummate businessman, lower costs and up the profit margin. Okay, you can use that? Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Colombians have a lot of money, they like gadgets, and so they just love these little gadgets. Layton knew the company was still in action, and he was determined to bring them down. We knew we had a huge operation on our hand, a very well-organized operation on our hand, a bunch of dangerous people. FBI Special Agent Mike Devitt. We started tying it together, building upon what we had developed initially, and now all of it was mushrooming into a full-blown narcotics investigation. How old are you? 32. Yates went on to tell them that with the arms coming in from China Lake, Barkley could finally get his man out of Columbia. He hatched a plan that would serve two purposes. Barkley was angry with an associate named Ray Deming. He asked him to join Yates in a quick run to Columbia. Barkley told Deming he had to leave a man behind on his last run and hope to win his freedom with an extra shipment of arms. Within minutes, Yates fired at the engine, and the plane was headed down the runway. They flew south-southeast over the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean, headed for the northern coast of Colombia. Deming soon learned this was not a typical trip. You know we're doing up here? Yates had a confession to make. His marching orders were, at the time that the uh, trip was initiated, 
were that uh, when he got over the uh, Caribbean, he was to uh, put the plane on automatic pilot and throw Ray Deming out the door. He threw the plane into a dive. The Caribbean Sea rushed closer. It was a controlled uh, ditching. As it turned out, uh, Danny Yates was a very accomplished pilot. He just put it down in the waves. Yates knew there was an unspoken code among drug smugglers. An uncompleted mission will be forgiven if you have to ditch your plane, either by accident or to avoid capture by police. Danny Yates, uh, that was the first time that he really realized uh, what he was into. He, uh, he was just a good old country boy and there wasn't any way he was going to get involved in a murder. And that's where one of our night vision devices got away from him as a result of that crash. And they had done this just to, uh, to throw off um, Barkley. The plan seemed to work. The Colombians were satisfied. Burke was released. And Deming was alive. Yates went on to tell investigators that on returning to the US, the three went into hiding. Yates also told them that tensions among members of the company were running high. The company was in danger of pulling apart. Investigators hoped these tensions would prompt the men to make a mistake that would lead to their capture. In next week's tense final episode, the cracks grow in the crime syndicate as its members get ever deeper into the world of international drug smuggling, their partners now drawn into their whirlwind story. This podcast episode is based on the documentary Dangerous Company. It is written by Joseph Amadio, directed by Joe Wiecka and Dave Haycox, and produced by New Dominion Pictures. You can watch this story, plus many others, in full length for free if you go to Real Stories' YouTube channel. I'm your host, Stephanie Bauer. If you liked this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review and help us spread the word. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Real Stories Docs. That's one word, Real Stories Docs, spelled D-O-C-S. See you next week. Until then, stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.